to the Rising Lioness podcast on All About Animals Radio, a place dedicated to animals and all those who act to protect and advocate for them. Hi, I'm your host, Erica Salvamini, and I'm thrilled and honored to be here representing All About Animals Radio using my voice for the animals. Thank you for joining us for what intends to be a thought-provoking and soul-inspiring series where we discuss topics aimed at understanding the importance of the relationship between empathy, animal rights, and our peaceful coexistence with the animal kingdom. And now on to our show. Today, we welcome back Billy Groom, who's an award-winning author, podcast host, animal welfare activist, and social entrepreneur. She's been featured in magazines, blogs, and on many podcasts and TV shows, including the LA Tribune and Psychology Today magazine. Billy presented at the Animal Behavior Society Conference in 2022 and is a featured speaker at the upcoming Animal Science and Veterinary Medicine Conference. Billy is also a member of the Dog Writers Association of America, Comparative Cognition Society, and the Animal Behavior Society. She's currently enrolled in the PhD program at the Graduate School of Leadership and Change at Antioch University. Billy lives in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, with her rescued dogs and cat. Billy, welcome back. It's Thank so great so to have much. you here on the Rising Lioness again. And uh, you're help, awesome. I, I can't help but giggle as I say the name of your town. So I apologize. I want to start <laughs> First and foremost, by apologizing for the mispronunciation the first go round when I called when I said your hometown was Regina, because I have since learned that it is not Regina, it is Regina. And I imagine that that happens a lot. That mis- it happens all the time. And I, I noticed that you got it correctly this time. But that's, you know, we help people through that little problem by saying that, you know, we live in this city that rhymes with fun. <laughs> <laughs> they're right okay it's regina right <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that we always oh, love boy. the comedy relief on uh, well, the show, there you so that in life so thanks all right so on that note let's jump right in here <laughs> because all right so first we're going to say for our listeners here today who may have missed our part one episode with you Um, Please go back and have a listen. It was a wonderful show. And it also went into great detail about what canine cognitive behavior therapy, also coined by you as CCBT, um, and how it can rehabilitate and transform behaviorally challenged canines that we love so much. So go back and have a listen. And um, Mm -hmm. you'll learn a little bit more about that after you listen to this show, of course. So, Billy, where you and I had left off at the end of that episode, we'd said we were going to reconvene because we had such a great conversation. There was so much to unpack and so much to go into. We wanted to discuss further about the inherent issues within the unregulated pet industry and how that relates to all that we're talking about with behaviorally challenged dogs. So I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the industry could probably be doing a better job with supporting these canines um, more specifically, the ones that are surrendered and euthanized. 
en masse due to behavioral issues. There's just so many, it's, it, it's unthinkable, but it is, it's legit and it's happening. So I know this is a lot to put out there, um, but I really would like your help if you could break this down a little bit for our audience and with me. Yeah, it is. A, it is a big, big topic. And it's a tough topic. Something that you just brought up earlier that um, it is an unregulated industry. So we do have organizations that are considered leaders in the industry, uh, leaders in animal welfare, ones that typically people look to for guidance, direction, education, change, progress. The problem is a lot of those organizations are the ones ensuring stagnation, truthfully. Sure. They haven't changed in, they right. haven't progressed, they haven't changed. Uh, many of them aren't looking for solutions or because it's unregulated. And this is where it gets a bit challenging because I understand <laughs> That some of these are so when I'm talking about these organizations, I should clarify, you know, I'm talking about SPCAs, humane societies. Right. It depends on who looks to what, what their interests are. So there might be trainers, which dog training is an unregulated industry. However, it is highly influenced by organizations such as the fear free movement, which only teaches conditioning methods and only promotes conditioning methods. Um, and then you have Animal Behavior College, some of the larger schools. There's also CAAB, which is affiliated with Animal Behavior Society. So that's Certified Applied Animal Behavior Certification. So they're not a school, but they are highly regarded for behavioral veterinarians and uh, PhD animal scientists. They give them, they accreditate them basically with but again, they're not they're not telling people what they have to have, but they only recognize conditioning methods. And they and I know all this because I have reached out to these organizations. I've talked to them and reached out. And because it isn't regulated, I, I believe I said this in the first episode, there's not really a body to go to. There's not a governing body that says, you know, it's not like for doctors or now veterinarians obviously are regulated aside, but the behavioral veterinarian, you know, they could be expanding and learning and doing more. So I think what the problem is, is that you have all these different organizations and all these different people that are considered leaders, but they're a little bit, I, I don't know if I should speak for them and say that they're scared of change scared of progress i think human They're, nature anyway you know even if there's yeah. maybe some other things going on behind the scenes um yeah. in general human nature is to not change right so we like to stick with what we know and and be comfortable in that the problem is that there's stagnation and there's a lot there's, is happening yeah. there's a they're they're sitting at the top and they're sitting pretty and they don't necessarily want to, you know, tumble down their mountain or how they view it. Right. Unfortunately, it's that view where they think, oh, my peers are going to not agree with me anymore or I'm going to cause a ruffle in my industry instead of viewing it as, hey, maybe I could bring something new 
or something advanced or, or even just explore it. Right. That needs to happen. And that, that is what, what doesn't. And, and in their defense, I should say, because it's an unregulated industry, anyone can just stand up and say, Hey, I've got this great idea. You know, anyone who's ever walked one dog once in their life suddenly seems to (laughs) have all these great ideas and they're not necessarily educated on the challenges in the system, how the system works, what its goals are, how it's run. Currently, the shelter system is run on a transactional system and it should be run on a transformational. So right there, there's a block right there in the leadership model that prevents change. And when you get these organizations that when you go to their websites, oh yeah, we're open and we're creating this and doing these programs and human animal bond. And they say all the right things, but they don't um, collaborate to yeah. that up. Yeah, they don't even research or look into it. And, and that's a challenge. And what's happening is it's not so much that they're preventing, pro- but they're they're killing progress and they're killing dogs. So when right. these- That's the problem. Uh, yeah, I mean, solutions such as what you have. I mean, you take holistic approaches. You have different ways of doing your grooming and working with dogs that would be very beneficial in the system. Right. Well, and that's why I can get into this with you because doing this work for 20 years, I see animals come in on a regular basis and the, the numbers of canines with behavioral challenges has grown exponentially over the last 10 years and even more so over the last five years. And so I am burnt out. I'm getting burnt out because I'm one of the very few people that are doing grooming in the way that I, which is, you know, compassionately, consciously. So I have to work one-on-one with pets at at a very slow and intentional, intentional way to give them what they need. So it's specialized care, but I'm not trained in, you know, behavioral therapy. I, have been trained in Reiki, which is energy work. So the two work beautifully together. And so, but the thing is, you know, what you do, you know, working with behaviorally challenged dogs wasn't the intention of what my work is. It just happened to turn out to be that way. So all the pets that I'm getting, not all, but the good majority, I'm known as the special needs, you know, pet grooming lady. Like that's what I do. I And I do it because I'm good at it, but I'm burnt out. And the people don't mm-hmm. understand. They don't want to hear anything. I've, you know, many times I've heard, oh, just do your job, just get it done. And I'm like, seriously, <laughs> just, and mm-hmm. like, if yes. I've recently started saying, if I need to restrain an animal, then I'm not going to do what you want me to do. You know, if they, sometimes owners want me to just hold them down and do what I need to do. First of all, even if I were that kind of person, which I'm not, it doesn't work that way. You can't just hold a dog down and then give them this fabulous, beautiful, gorgeous haircut. It doesn't work like that. These are real live sentient beings that are living and breathing. They have their own ideas, their own feelings. They have behavioral challenges. And whether it's because they were trauma laden from abuse and they were, you know, um, adopted and we don't know what their past and their history was, or they're actually supposed to be these pure, well, they are, they're purebred, 
you know, designer dogs with a big fat price tag associated with them. So the, the people think they're going to be perfect. They're these perfect little trophy animals that they you know, think are there's going to be nothing wrong with them. But it's not like that because a lot of times, you know, this gets a little bit further into the conversation that we're going to have about, um, you know, breeding and, and, you know, what goes on in that world. So we'll, we'll jump down to that a little bit later, but all of it matters, right? It's all part and parcel as to why these dogs are, are coming out behaviorally challenged and whose job, who's going to stand up and say, going to your point about the leadership, who's going to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stop everything. <laughs> Let's do something about this. Let's stop putting band-aids on, you know, gushing wounds and let's actually fix the problem. And that that is, it, it's, you've said so many wonderful things. The one that really stuck out is you're burnt out. And I think what happens when, so for me, I can relate because I'm the only person that does what I do. I don't want to be that, nor should I be that. Right. It should be mainstream what I do. I don't have, you know, those marketing skills to do, to do that. I, I mean, but you know, it, it's, it's interesting that my biggest supporters are pet parents, which has made me a behaviorist unintentionally, but it's because pet parents will seek solutions while industries will they repel seek money. them. They want money. Yes. They That's seek the money and status, right. this type of thing. And, and I think pet parents look to, I mean, 98% of my clients have researched and gone to these norm, the, the big wigs, the, you know, what you're supposed to be looking to, who's providing this information. They're getting the same stuff over and over. They've hired number of trainers. They've hired behavioral veterinarians, they've tried. Right. So it's amazing that they stick with it and still find me, but it shouldn't be that challenging and trainers should be exposed to it. Right. But when they're, when they're not, that is what people, it, it's sort of like what we were talking about earlier about holistic approaches, even with human medicine, we need to provide people with their options. They need to know their options and they can make up their own mind. I mean, who who is the industry saying, no, we're just going to right. repel? Having said that, they're not stopping me at all from doing what I'm doing. They've never tried and they don't and they realize they can't. Not simply because it's an unregulated industry and anyone can stand up and do what they want. It's not that I'm taking advantage of that. It's that it's effective and people need it and they want it. And when that happens, you get this movement from underneath. You get this pressure where people saying, no, we want what she does. We want this out there. And the same, when I say she, I'm including you and other people that do things their own way and are successful and what they're doing is needed. And it's when industries have that ability and that um, standing to, and really it is a responsibility. They do have that responsibility. They're not forced to. They don't have to include anything in their programs that they don't want to. But people expect it. Right. People expect when they go to their veterinarian or to their doctor, yeah. you know, doctor or um, to the leading animal um behaviorists and Actually, scientists that, that they're knowing what's going on. Right. And they they, you know, 
people are mostly trusting and, and expect to be told what is going to be the best thing for them or for their pets. And, you know, I would like to backtrack a little bit too, because what you said, you know, resonates that the pet parents are your biggest advocates and mine are too. I don't want to give the impression that, you know, I may have mentioned one or two people who, who might have a negative view on what, you know, it's not even a negative view. It's what they, it's just a matter of what they want. But the majority of my clients, they're amazing, wonderful people who only want the best thing for their pets. And they know that they have a a pet who has challenges and they, that's why they come to me. They come to me because they know that I'm going to take the best possible care and they don't care so much about the priority is not the hairstyle priority is the comfort and the love and, and, you know, special care for their pet. So, um, but the bigger problem is the industry, the industry that at a, as a whole, which really it comes down to, it's like a machine, like anything else, mm-hmm. like governments and these, these big mm-hmm. structures, they become too big, too monolithic. And then they cannot be, you know, or they, they don't, the people in charge, the leaders, they don't want to break it down because it's, oh, it's too much work. I can't even imagine. How, what are we going to do now? But <clears throat> unfortunately, me. you know, people like you and people like me and all the others who are doing work that, you know, it can't be sustained this way. It's like we've got our finger in a dam and we're holding it from, from bursting open. What's going to absolutely we've got to do something. It's frustrating. I mean, at first we, I don't know about yourself, but I mean, years ago for me, I was excited, happy, you know, I'm finding something, discovering it. I'm helping dogs, helping people. My business is booming, flourishing. This is amazing. And then it just becomes a slog. Wow. It's, it's the same people saying the same thing. You know, why are they, they're coming to me crying. They're upset. They've been told they have to put their dog down, euthanize. And it, and they're saying to me, you know, Billy, why isn't this mainstream? And meanwhile, in that same day, I, have you know, every day reaching out and getting and sometimes they sometimes they're you know you might want to try this person or that person I'm not saying it's it's a hugely slam door all the time it really depends on the person well but I but it, it is frustrating 30 years yeah. you've been doing this and you you have the 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 scientific proof the backup the people the thousands mm. and thousands of clientele that that are you yeah. know living proof their their dogs were were saved and not you know, euthanized or surrendered because of the the work and the training that you're doing, which I guess leads me to my next question, which is, you know, do you think that if if CCBT were embraced as a mainstream method for treating adult and adolescent dogs, that the numbers, I mean, I know the answer to this. I'm just going to ask it anyway, that (laughs) the numbers could be dramatically reduced um, for canine surrenders and euthanasias. If this were mainstream, could, you know, this could make a difference, could it not? Absolutely. It's not challenging to implement. It's just a matter of yeah, having those industries know it and, and teaching it to their trainers. And, and they can make money off this, too. I mean, we all know that these organizations are all about money right. and status. If they were to, to implement it, well, sure. yes. It's a service, um, right? You can, it's you a can service. And they would they would make money on it. More so, I think it's it's the numbers. I mean, I've done it's interesting because to scientifically prove a methodology, there's three steps to that, and one is um, 
well, for, for with canines, they would have the ability to think cognitively. And so there are scientific studies that prove dogs can think cognitively sure. based on their brain. It The methodology also has to adhere to a scientifically proven method, which is why positive reinforcement training is a legitimate method because it adheres to operant conditioning or one half of it. So mine does adhere to CBT, which is a scientifically proven method. And there's psychologists that I've worked with that support that. The most important one, or in my mind, is the application. You, you, can't, you can't just study, you can't say something is scientifically proven if it's an entire methodology in a lab. It, it has to be applied right. repeatedly. So I have about 150 clients per year for that. My actual stats are from 2013 to 2021. I obviously have clients from before that and have dogs I've worked with from before that, but those are where my stats come from. And these are important because these are the same people that everyone's trying to reach. They're pet parents. As soon as you have pet parents knowing this en masse, you're going to get fewer surrenders. You're going to get higher adoptions, right. more successful adoptions. You're going to get fewer euthanasia. You can, what it really boils down to, when, when people surrender or euthanize or get frustrated or use harmful methods or tools like the e-collar, it's not commonly because of one issue. It's not that, you know, the dog chewed that pillow that day or peed on the floor or bit one person. What that really stems from is when methods don't work, when people feel defeated, out of uh, they're out of options. That's it. They're done. Nothing they have hired people. They have, and they have tried. They've done what they've been told to do. It's when they feel defeated. That's when you get that happening. And that's what we need to prevent. And that's why there needs to be solutions well, beyond what's there. Would you consider teaching your method to shelters and rescue groups and then they can train their staff who who then rehab these surrendered dogs? <laughs> it becomes sort of a train the trainer program. Mm, dare to dream. <laughs> I, I know, but that could be such a huge leap towards um, saving s such vast numbers of dogs that are otherwise being euthanized. And Well, I'm in Canada, so Humane Canada. Um, it's sort of the umbrella of SPCA and Humane Society. But again, they don't monitor them. They don't have to give any statistics or reports to them or anything like that. But Humane Canada does come across as being, um, you know, the leading organization for that. They do have a behaviorist that they use. Of course, she's trendy, well-known. She's in the States. Um, Susan, Suzanne. Um Shoot, sorry. Well, so from well, from what I understand, but, it's but she's like just regular trainer. She's people should write the Humane Society, yeah, and other organizations. Absolutely. If anybody wants to to really make a difference today, and somebody who might possibly mm -hmm. be listening to this, and either you've had a behaviorally challenged dog who you love dearly, and maybe you've lost because of that, or you would just like to really help these dogs because of these issues that is of no fault of their own. It's because of, you know, really human error, usually be, that, that mm -hmm. these dogs are find themselves in these situations, and then we do nothing about it to help them. So maybe we can take a, a step forward here 
and make, you know, a, make a, a just a small it's, gesture to reach out to these organizations to say, hey, what about canine <laughs> cognitive behavioral therapy? Have you heard about that? And and maybe look into it. And here are some here's some information. And, and gosh, there's plenty of information that we're going to post on the uh, Rising Lioness podcast show today. Links to your um, to your media kit and to your presentations, well, and they can share. Yeah, this I mean, I mean, that's definitely a great way to do it. it it's a start. Having said that, many. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I was, I'm sorry. I was just saying it's a start. It's something that people can It is. Like, hey, and many of my something. clients have reached out to their local SBCA or Humane Society. Many of them are psychologists, veterinarians. I have clients that are vet and reach. They just don't. The ones that they've reached out to don't, don't respond, don't get back. Well, if enough people had, do it, right? Let's bombard they just, them. They, yeah, it would have to be. Have now to you have your way. American SPCA who uh, the CEO is Matt. I have not made contact with him, but he has been very instrumental. He started a behavioral, um, it is, it is a, it's an actual brick and mortar building in North Carolina where the challenging dogs from the SPCA behavioral challenging dogs go and they rehabilitate them and, and home them. So definitely a step forward, but they're just using regular conditioning methods. And I have not Which found a way to right well i think they're trying to figure out and i'm not saying that they're not doing a good job they they possibly could be but that would be a place where it would begin it would start i mean those people that work there i'm sure would be very interested in what i do and interested in learning more methods it's a matter of are they going to open that door so at the, are at they the going rescue, to welcome it rescue probably not the shelters um, yeah, they, they probably won't. I mean, I can try, but it, it's really not what what really needs to happen is exactly what you said, either from the grassroots, people need to say, hey, what is with your organizations? Why are you not recognizing these? Even something like NOMVI, I've reached out to NOMVI, which is not one more vet. And people think, oh, is that really correlative? It is because vets don't like euthanizing dogs for behavioral reasons. It's a huge source of stress. NOMVI is a, a organization, nonprofit that provides support for veterinarians that are having emotional right. problems. Right. So, hey, let's fix a whole yeah. a whole bunch of problems while we're at it, right? Now, yeah. you vet. Not interested. You, yeah, it's not yeah. why you got into this, you yeah. know, your line of work initially. You got into your line of work because you love animals. So if you love them, you know, stop. Like, it's like, stop the madness, everybody. Yeah. We don't have to <laughs> just be robots. We don't have to be... Um, you know, sheep going to slaughter, we can stop and use our ability to critically think and lead with critically our think is huge. People by nature. And I think, I mean, we keep going back to this. Is it fear? Or is it that they don't think for themselves? Or is it? Is it money? I, it's a whole I, bunch I, of I, is it what? Yeah. <laughs> and, it and people, to me, people don't ask why enough. They don't No. You're right. You know, I'm always the devil's advocate. Why would somebody do or not do yeah. that? Or what's in it for them? And Curiosity is why is this the... happening? What What's the real bottom line problem here? And that's why I'm an innovator. That's why I'm leader in canine CBT, because so... I question things and find solutions. Mm -hmm. So you take right now, it's very uh, big. The um, SBCAs and humane societies are... Uh, 
you know, really on a roll to shut down these backyard breeders, which is great. And selling puppies in pet stores or, or pets in pet stores, commonly puppies, but anyway. Um, so they're really trying to say, they're saying, you know, these, they live in terrible conditions. They're not regulated. They, they're, they treat the animals poorly. They live in small, small cages. They don't get walks. They don't get cared for. And they're just machine putting them through. I just find it, yeah, I do have to question. I have to really sit there and question, are they, are they trying to get rid of their competition? Is that really what they're doing? Because these backyard breeders have been around forever. And it seems now that times are tough and they're really having a go that they're starting to crack down on them. But we have to look at the shelters and say, are, are a lot of your shelters much better than that? I mean, some shelters are very good. It depends on a lot of different factors, economy, location. But there's a lot of shelters where dogs aren't walked for weeks on end. Dogs live in crappy little cages. As soon as they go in the shelter, they're on death row. They're immediately on death row. They, they have a time limit on their head. Yeah. So, you know, they're they're saying they're they're trying to regulate these backyard breeding. And, and we need to start questioning that. Yeah. We need to start I saying mean, maybe you should look more at inside. Look at the mirror. What are you? Look at your own industry. Yeah. I mean, even the most reputable and kind-hearted breeders, let's face it, they're still prioritizing money over the the comfort and of the of the dog and respecting mm -hmm. the will of the animal. Um, I have I do, mm -hmm. I have an inherent problem with the industry. Um mm -hmm. it, it views the canine as a commodity. It's about the almighty dollar. So my question is, how do we shift this industry so that there we can make more room for, you know, in a perfect world, say we can start to rehabilitate more of these dogs, say CCBT does start to become implemented within shelters and with trainers. And then we've got all these rehabilitated dogs. It's a fabulous, it's a, it's an interesting problem to have, right? Because then where did all of they, where do, are there, is there enough space in people's homes for these dogs, you know, versus, the breeding industry that keeps pumping out these designer dogs with these big fat price tags that, you know, they're a status symbol. And if people stop because the, the people that love the dogs, you know, they can say, well, I didn't know, I didn't know that that's what happens and that's what they do. But, you know, it is our responsibility to look under the covers and find out, you know, you don't want to adopt a child that comes from, you know, child trafficking do you you don't want to you know you i think you'd want to know that you're getting an adopted child from a good place and that it wasn't somebody's baby that was stolen out of a hospital well it's kind of the same thing you know our pets are our babies we want to make sure that those dogs are being um you know taken care of and i i say bred but no because i don't i don't think breeding should exist at all personally that's my own opinion some people are going to have a, a hard time with me saying that, but I just feel like they're animals, they're sentient beings, they should have their own, they should be able to live a sovereign life and not be forced to breed. And like I said, even the best breeders in the world who may be taking care of these mamas and, you know, maybe not forcing them to, to pump out litter after litter every year and give them a, give them a break. It's still a money-making industry. So. Um, I think it's great that you're coming right out and saying that. I think People's expectations of a dog from a breeder are unrealistic. 
I think a lot of breeders hesitate to admit that just because the dog came from their breeding facility doesn't mean it's not going to have its own personality, his or her own personality and like it as a breed, but individuals as their individuals. What are you going to do? Sedate your, your toddler? Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, and he's that's another, out today. That's, do you have something like, and people do do that. It is a, a legitimate thing that's going on. And, and so that's another, know, that's another reason why we know and you're right. That there's can't issues. Be legalized drug pushers. I'm sorry. There's got to be a more responsible right. way to handle these issues. And there is seven years um, ago, 10 years ago, very few of my clients had their dogs on uh, drugs from their recommended from their veterinarian. Yeah, now it's super time. common. It yeah. is all the time. We're able to wean off of it. And usually the vet, not always, is willing to work together to wean off the drug safely. But sometimes they're just, no, wonderful. your dog needs to be on this drug yeah. and that's it. And it it is a sign that the system they're is struggling. Now we, we have behavioral veterinarians. So normally these vets will say in, in it, in conjunction, go to a behavioral veterinarian. All my clients have done that. And again, the method is standard conditioning. It's not working. So there's lots of signs that that show that we're failing. It could be anything, just an increase in recommendation of when you adopt a dog, you know, three weeks, three months, don't walk the dog, don't do anything, don't introduce to your other dog, don't. It's because they're, they don't know how to do that effectively it's just seems to be more restrictions more medications um more rules and yeah you're right it, it it's just really indicative of a system that's failing the dogs yeah and it needs to it needs to change i mean you know i'll try and let's let's put a positive spin back on this since we're getting close to the end of our show here there are things that that we're <laughs> oh doing God, time flies i know and but we're doing things that can help. You know, you've got your yeah. cognitive uh, behavior therapy for canines. I have Reiki, which is, you know, so I'm a pet care yeah. provider and I, I own a pet spa and I give compassionate, conscious pet care. Right. And then I also have Reiki as a master Reiki practitioner. I've been doing both of these for 20 years. And so, yes, these, these methodologies, these therapies that we offer help those pets that need it but it's, you know, everybody doesn't know about it. Everybody isn't utilizing it. We can't fix and help everyone. So, but for now, at least, you know, there's that we do offer that it does exist for anyone listening, you know, look into CCBT, find out and ask about it. What is it? Can I get it? Let's, let's make this mainstream call your, um, and, and write and email your local, you know, humane society, your shelter, and even your local governments and say, hey, this is because I mean, the governments are who are funding these shelters, uh, you know, giving them pennies, because yeah. let's face it. And the universities, right? universities yeah. have animal science, animal behavior programs. They're, they're, they're not teaching it at this point, they probably will be, hopefully. Yeah. But yeah, there's lots people have connections everywhere. It's so yeah, it's just gotta, reach out and ask. 
Absolutely. All we can do, you know, like you said, grassroots, right? We all have a voice. We can all use our voice for the animals. We can do it for, we can do it today. And we're not just doing it for the animals. We're doing it for us too, because we love our animals. We love our pets. They help us. They make us feel good on a regular basis. My, Mm. my clients are clients. They're people who would do anything for their animals. They love them to death and they're their family. For some, it's all that they have and they'll go to the ends of the earth for them. So Folks, reach out. Um, you know, I can't say it enough times. Try and help make a difference and bring this therapy to your area. You can also find out if there's somebody who does Reiki in your area. I also do Reiki. It's a, it's a, um, it's an energy healing modality that is gentle and extremely effective. It's been around for four millennia. That's a lot of years to be yes. helping and still be around. And the reason it's still around is because it actually does work. And it's, it's amazingly effective for people as well as for pets. So I help a lot of my pe- parents as well as their pets. And I do re- uh, Reiki therapy sessions, uh, healing therapy sessions for them together sometimes. Because frankly, if if you're not feeling good, how can you take care of your child, your pet, or anything? It's, it's also logical. I it mean, is. it's so logical. It makes sense. Know your options. Research. And... And expect more. Expect more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have a higher standard because you deserve it and your pets deserve yes. it. And absolutely. Billy, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. It's always great having you on. It's always great talking to you. Your your you know, expert knowledge is bar none. And um, you as well. I, I always enjoy having our discussions and I do feel helpful, hopeful coming away from these discussions because there is stuff that we can do and people can do to help make a difference and your podcast is making a difference so thank you so much again for having me on always a pleasure thank you thank you for joining us here today everyone um to learn more about ccbt and how it can help you and your canine bffs please check out billy's bio and media kit as well as her two presentation links found on our podcast page um to learn more about reiki check out our links please visit all about animals radio Um, at allaboutanimalsradio.com. This has been Erica Salvamini with Billy Groom, canine cognitive behavior therapy expert for the Rising Lioness podcast. Have a beautiful day. Namaste. Until next time. Bye. This has been Erica Salvamini for the Rising Lioness podcast on All About Animals Radio. A special thank you to Chris Corley for generously lending us his song, Zero Gravity, for the Rising Lioness podcast theme. Please, Take a moment to write a review for our show as it helps others to find us. Please also support our guests and their work, All About Animals Radio, and our social networks. Doing this further supports the animals and their advocates too, thereby making you an Animal Kingdom warrior also. You can find our links on the Rising Lioness podcast page. Until next time, in the words of Sharon Nunez, Animal Equality President, remember this. The small actions of one passionate individual can create a butterfly effect leading to a movement that has the power to change the world. Please use your voice for the animals today.